Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has over 10 years of law enforcement analysis experience with a combined Olathe experience and Shawnee PD experience in Kansas. She is an active member of both Marcan and the IACA. She is a certified law enforcement analyst. In college, she decided one day to give up her mathematics dream for criminology. Please welcome Sabrina Potts. Sabrina, how are we doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you. And, and, you know, in one's life, every once in a while, they realize they made a mistake and have to acknowledge it publicly. And so, you know, you gave me a hard time when we saw each other in Chicago about the fact that your husband, Seth, who's been an analyst for all of 15 minutes, was on the show prior to you. And so I must admit that, yes, I should have had you who has 10 years experience on the, on the show prior to having <laughs> Seth. So I am sorry. Yeah. No, no worries. We're pretty competitive. So it was a one up that he had on me. <laughs> oh man. Very good. But it seems like you taught him everything that he knows. <laughs> I don't say that, but no, we work really well together. <laughs> All right. So how did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? Well, you're talking about making mistakes and having to admit one. I was that math major three and a half years into college and wondering what I'm going to do with my life after college and took a filler class in criminology, just a little intro to criminology class and fell in love with it and decided I'd made a mistake for the last three and a half years and changed my degree. So I switched to criminology and started taking all the classes I could. It was so interesting and so fascinating. And I didn't actually discover crime analysis until there was like really a paragraph in my Policing American Society class. And I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a way to like put my passion for math and my new love of criminology together in one job. So I graduated, I started applying for jobs and yeah, no one wanted to hire me. I had no experience <laughs> or anything. Like nobody was like, you know, come on, take a chance. So I started Google searching, came across the IACA and just reached out to the info email that they had. I had Susan Whitford reached back out to me, uh, giving me like classes to take, you know, places to join, associations to join like ICA, but like local organizations as well. And then she's like, oh, if you're anywhere near Shawnee, Kansas, you could come intern with me. I live the next town over. So I kind of seemed like it was space to, hey, this is where I'm meant to be. And so I actually started volunteering with Shawnee Police Department, was there for almost three years before getting hired on it as a full-time analyst in Olathe. All right. Interesting. So when you were in college yeah. and you had the mathematics major, what was your original dream? Actually, starting college, I was going to be an engineer. And I was like, well, I'll, I didn't know what kind I really wanted to do. I played around with aerospace engineering, but I didn't know really what I wanted to do. So I was like, I really like math. I'll just focus on math and I'll come across what I want to do. So I took economics, I took accounting, I took, you know, math education, hoping that I would find that passion. And I just never did. 
Oh, man. Interesting. And then when you were volunteering for three years, what did you do for income? So I was actually working full time at a law firm, and I think they were a little bit scared of losing me. I was running their file room. So they allowed me to leave early on Tuesday afternoons, and I came over just for Tuesday afternoons and put in as much time as I could at Shawnee learning what I could. All right. Well, that's something that you and Seth have in common then, because he worked in a law firm as well. How about that? He did. He did. Yeah. (laughs) So then when you're volunteering at Shawnee, what types of things are you getting into? So we were reading reports, trying to look for MOs. I got very heavy in working on like our gang bulletin, trying to ID problems that we were having. We had a lot of motorcycle gang issues coming through. Just trying to do bits and pieces of what we could when we were there. There was a whole slew of us who came through and volunteered at one point or another. (laughs) So we each kind of had our own niche of what we'd like to work on. And I really fell in love with the gang aspect of uh, analysis and the intel side. Okay. And then, yeah, because I, when I had Susan on, she talked about uh, all the volunteers that she had and the, the tasks that she would give them. And I think at one point in time, they were going to give her quite a large office to house <laughs> all these interns that she had coming in and out. Yeah, we did. She had her desk and we had three like substations that we all could come and sit and work at. So yeah, she did have a pretty decent office at the time. (laughs) Okay. How did Olathe come on your radar then? So once I started getting some experience, I started looking for open positions and there was a couple I applied for and I had some of the other interns beat me out for, like Kyle Stoker beat me out for Raytown's position. But Olathe was the one I applied for and I ended up starting there in 2012 and started working with Don Clausius. She was there at the time and she really was a whiz at intel analysis, which I didn't, you know, I had a little bit of doing with the gang activity, but she really kind of opened my eyes to that side of analysis. So it was really fun to get to work beside her and get to see a whole new side of what I was doing with Susan as well. Okay, then, yeah, so then when you get there to Olathe, you've been volunteering for three years. How was the transition? It was pretty, I will say pretty easy because I feel like Susan really prepped us pretty well for what we're doing. But like I said, there's a whole new side of digging into people and their groups and social media and everything. So it was really fun to kind of, you know, learn something new and kind of dive in. But I I feel like I was really prepared well for my interning. I mean, it was three years worse, so I had plenty of time to do it. (laughs) So, but no, I, I don't think the transition was bad at all. The issues or the tasks that you're focusing on in Olathe in 2012, how did they compare to what you were focusing on in Shawnee in 2009? Really, it's, I mean, kind of the same stuff, just different mm-hmm. cities. Uh, Olathe is a little bit bigger, but I mean, we're still part of the same county and part of the same metro area. So a lot of it was similar things that Olathe was dealing with. So is there just two analysts there at Olathe when yes. you get there? Yes. Okay. Yep. It was just Don and I working there. And actually, they still only have two analyst positions there. In terms of the intel work that you're learning, did you get to continue your interest in gangs then? I did. I did a lot of work. We had one of the national runs for one of the, I think it was the Banditos come up through one of the years. So we did a big project with that. And I got to work with our gang unit and Johnson County and Lenexa both were working with us at Olathe as well, trying to stop and ID as many people coming in as well. So I got to put all together the traffic stops, try to ID people, figure out their 
who the bikes belong to and everything. So yeah, I definitely did dive more into the gang world there as well. Okay. Now, is that a mixture of like law enforcement sensitive data and open source? Yes. So I did do social media searching. I reached out, pulled, emailed somebody on the ICA directory trying to get DL pictures or information they had from down in Louisiana and down in Texas. So great information from them. So yeah, it was a mixture of both. Yeah. And what, what was the actual threat? Like, what were you guys anticipating or maybe thinking worst case scenario as you're trying to identify as many people from this group? At the time, they were telling us, or Intel was, I guess, coming through that the Banditos were looking at opening a Kansas chapter and Aletha was one of the cities that they were looking to have their clubhouse in. So we wanted to try to get as much information on the people and maybe a little bit of deterrence that maybe Aletha is not the place to pick. <laughs> Huh. All of these are suburbs, like both Shawnee and yes. Olathe are right outside of Kansas City, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're just one of, we're both in the same county, but yeah, we're on the Kansas side of the Kansas City metro area. Huh. Do you know why they would have started targeting Shawnee as a place to do shop? Well, Kansas has been kind of, it still is kind of a hotbed for motorcycle games. Um mm -hmm. There's, it's kind of been, I don't know, I will say quiet per se. And then as we start having banditos move up, we're having the Hells Angels move down. It's just started to become an area, a territory that everyone's kind of trying to put focus on. Okay. And then before you left Olathe in 2017, did, yeah. what had transpired with this group? Did they, did they just go somewhere else to have their clubhouse yeah. or? Yeah, they, they totally were not happy with us and it, it backed down for, for a while. I mean, there's still a lot of activity in the Kansas City area, but Olathe is not their home right now. <laughs> I gotcha. And then what is normally their operation deal with I mean, in terms of this kind of stuff that makes the Bambinos the Bambinos? They're like any other motorcycle gang. They're running drugs, they're running guns, that sort of thing. They're in, they have all sorts of violence. Um, we just had an incident not too long ago where there was rival gang members that end up attacking each other at one of our motorcycle dealerships in the, in the metro area. So it's definitely, I mean, they're like any other gang. They're fighting for territory. They're fighting for the same drug sales and sort of things like that. All right. Interesting. And so, and then beyond, I guess, the gangs, is there anything else that comes to mind during your time in Olathe during this five-year period? I also got added to our negotiations team while I was there, which was really a fun side to get to see outside of just doing, sitting at a desk. I got to be, you know, when we got called out, I got called out with the negotiations team. I got to work in our command post and doing what I would do at my desk, running intel on people, looking for social media, that sort of thing. But yeah, getting to do it with a very big, significant, you know, importance, right? Like right now, let's figure this out. We're, this person's throwing this name out. We need to figure out who we're dealing with, that sort of thing. Yeah. So in terms of the negotiation, is this terms of like suicide threats or hostage issues? Is that is that what this yep. relates any to? Any and all. Yep. <laughs> yep. Any and all. So if, yeah, if we have someone who's barricaded, someone who's taken hostages, that sort of thing, yeah. All right. So that's that's pretty fascinating, though. That's, that's a great yeah. opportunity. So were you on call for that? Because obviously those types of people don't always work nine to five. Right. Yeah. No, I was on call. So anytime our negotiations team got called out, I got called out with them. So we would just meet wherever on scene we're supposed to meet, and I'd get to go be held up with them while they're 
trying to make contact with the subject. And if we made contact with them, it was me trying to pull any information I could hear from their conversations or names they came up with or that sort of thing. Okay. So do you, were you, were you part of like a mobile unit then? And that's where you would set up shop once you were on the scene and you had access to all your databases and all your computer programs that you would need? Yep, yep. We have our mobile command post. We just, the negotiations team just had like a back room in it. It has like two rooms, so it's not huge, but you mm -hmm. would have like the back room of it where you could shut the door. So when the negotiator was on the phone, there was not any background noise or anything. And we would just be sitting in there listening to their conversation. And you typically have a coach who's sitting there also listening to the conversation and that's who I'm giving my information to. So if I come up with a name or like, hey, they really like football or whatever, that could be conversation starters that at the right time, then the coach can pass to the actual negotiator on the phone and say, hey, you might look at, you know, talk to them about Chiefs football. It's starting. They seem really interested in it. You can get them talking. Is there one particular story that comes to mind during your time doing this? Not really. No, I don't have anything, any really big stories or anything. We didn't have any like hostage takings or anything mm -hmm. like that. So we just, we did a lot more, I think, practice than we actually did have real life scenarios. <laughs> okay. No, that's, that's still good. I, I do find it fascinating yeah. when analysts get the opportunity to be on scene and to help out in high profile cases that are ongoing like that, like a negotiation situation and to hear that they're there to research, basically, like what, what you mentioned right. there. Anything that's talked about, any little bit of information that comes through, you're running with it and trying to find out more information on that bit of information. Right, yep. All right, then. So then let's talk about your transition to Shawnee. So you go home, right? In 2017, you yep. went back to Shawnee. I, so let's talk about that decision to leave Olathe and go back to Shawnee. Yeah. So at that point, Susan had retired and the analyst who came after her was Josie Masick. She actually went to Walmart corporate as an analyst. So the position came open actually towards the end of 2016 when Josie left. And at the time, I mean, we're in the same metro area, but my commute was 45 minutes each way. We had one kid at the time. And I just wanted that extra hour and a half every day with my family <laughs> and to be knowing that my kids were going into school, you know, and be able yeah. to, to be able to jump over and see, you know, a play at school within the afternoon or field day or something. So just that flexibility and closeness to home to get more time with them, but to see what they're doing at school as well. Okay. No, that makes sense. And then how much had Shawnee changed since the five years that you had been there? It had and it had not. Mm -hmm. I think I changed more. Like I said, bringing all that Intel side in, um, it was kind of, I don't know, a wake up call when I came that they're just, you know, I start digging in Facebook like I did at Elisa and they're just like, what What are you doing? What, what are you doing Intel for? And I'm like, well, this is what an analyst does. <laughs> so what did they expect you to do? So I, they did a lot more, like Susan and Josie really focused a lot more on administrative number pulling and such, but they did a lot of strategic stuff with DDACs and they would put out bulletins and such, but I don't really know how much of the Intel side they dug into. So it was just something that that was something I was very passionate about and I got to bring back and kind of start having to be like, hey, this is what I can do. Do you want me to do this? Because this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. Now, is there only one at the time? Was there only there one is, analyst at, at Shawnee? There is and there was. Yeah. Okay. 
I am the only one here. <laughs> oh, still. Okay. All right. And yep. Yep. <laughs> it is the volunteer program still going strong? It is not. No, oh, okay. no, that is something that kind of fizzled away. And especially with COVID and everything, things definitely kind of fizzled down with any volunteers we had. Oh, that's, that's too bad. Cause that's a definitely a awesome opportunity for those that are in college looking for experience. So, but yeah. certainly understand. And okay, then, so have you gotten into much of the administrative analysis and strategic analysis since you started back I, there, Shawnee? I definitely do the number pulling. Yes, I do all the number pulling. We still do DDAC and mm -hmm. we still have some bigger projects and things we do. So no, I, I'm hitting all aspects of analysis here. <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, and, and DTAX is, is interesting, it, but it doesn't seem like that's something that you can just dip your toe in the water. It seems like you're either all in or all out. Yeah, we we fully, we've been doing it for over a decade here. We have one section of our town that we, it's very heavy for traffic crashes. It, it has a lot more apartments and things there. So there's a lot more people who are prone to have like auto burglaries and things like that, just because location is more acceptable for those air type of things not anything about people and apartments but just you know there there are bigger parking lots with your cars and such available so it definitely is an area that we still focus on and we still do DDAC. <laughs> how much has that program changed since you started there in 2017 so i Try to really focus on, we really looked at hot times for crime and crashes together. So something I wanted to look at is like, hey, we have these hot times for crime and crashes, and they really do overlap for our like morning stuff and our e evening things. But we were having this midnight times that, you know, there weren't crashes going on, but we were still having crime. So we wanted our midnight officers to get in the area. So instead of just looking at both of them overlapping, I look at them overlapping, but I look at crashes and, and cases separately to see if maybe we can have a, an area that we can put like our midnight officers in, you know, as the bars are getting out or whatever, we can have some extra patrol in that area as well. Then let's move on to your analyst badge story then. And yeah. so this deals with a auto crime series and this is in 2017, just as you're starting back at Shawnee. Yes. Yep. So I know like typically not the sexiest thing to think auto crime, but for me, we were having a serious amount of auto burglaries and auto thefts in one neighborhood. And the thing about it, we weren't getting them reported. We would have, you know, if checks were being stolen and used, we'd get a report or we have an auto theft, it would be reported. But majority of like our actual theft from autos was not being reported. Hmm. I was seeing a lot of it because I live in Shawnee and I was using the Nextdoor app and I was seeing people complaining like, you know, post after post that someone broke into my car again, someone rifled through our stuff again. And it was like a week and a half of just being hammered every night in this neighborhood. So we finally decided there was some issues going on. So we opened what we call a STORM project here. You know, we love acronyms in policing. So STORM stands for Strategic and Tactical Operation to re Reduce Misconduct. So really what it is, it's a database that we have here. So any problems that we have, our DDACs are in there, historic issues like issues at the park each summer that we might have, traffic enforcement locations. They're all stored in there. So you can, like an officer can get in, see what information we have, why they're trying to 
have extra enforcement in the area, and then they document their time in the area. So it's it's really, really good for transparency sake for the public if they're like, hey, we've had a ton of auto burglaries. What are you doing in this area? And we're like, well, our officers have been out there, you know, 40 times last week or whatever. So we opened up a project there. I got to start digging into all the incidents. We ended up getting, with the checks coming back, we got some names. I started digging the names, found they actually lived in this neighborhood and started digging into them and trying to figure out who they were associated to. I did my first link chart here. I did an intel packet, so trying to come up with all like social media and, you know, their criminal history and everything together, really trying to figure out who these people were. We were actually really lucky. We had some really great patrol work. They were able to get enough information about the house to get it a work for the house. And since I did all this intel work and got to read all the cases and know what was going on with other cities and what property was taken, I was actually able to go out on the search warrant with them. So once they got to clear the house, I got to go in and walk through this disgusting house and all the property that was everywhere <laughs> to see if I could help. And really, I love being able to do that because it kind of gave me an insight of if before they do a search warrant, is there information I can give them on the house that would help them prepare for the search warrant better? Yeah, that reminds me of when I did this something similar and got to go on the arrest the, for a big investigation that I worked on. And it was fascinating to it made it more real for me. It was just yeah. data. It wasn't just people's names and people. on a document. Yeah. It was actually real people when you walk through there. And certainly there's there's a ton of intel there that you can run with. So I can imagine that there was a lot that you were able to do while you were there. Yeah. And it was really just, I think, the a turning point for me. You know, I'd been at the department for about six months at that point. And it was kind of just like, man, she put together all this information on people and who they're connected to and helped work with other agencies. Like, all of a sudden, I wasn't seen as just like that admin analyst that I really could do help out with significant incidents or larger cases or things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, were they just looking to take the stolen property to local pawn shops or were they trying to sell it on eBay? What were they trying to do with it? So a lot of what they were doing was financial things. So they were taking checks, they were mobile depositing them. So that's where we started getting a lot of names and such that way. But they were stealing cars, using them to do auto burglaries, kind of really, I will say, quote, smart people. They were using the pizza toppers. So you see like at Pizza Hut or Domino's has a little topper mm -hmm. on top of cars. And you don't think anything of it. If you see a car with its headlight pulled off to the side of the road, you'll be like, oh, they're doing the delivery there. No, they were just uh, doing auto burglaries. And that was their car <laughs> that they were doing like undercover. You know, it looks like they're the pizza guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's interesting. I guess the, the clue that they're not doing that when the, the pizza delivery person will not go door to door checking to see if the car right. is unlocked right <laughs> right right <laughs> and they're not holding an actual pizza <laughs> right exactly <laughs> no but that is an interesting cover that they created for themselves because you're right no one would second guess that car being there if they just think that they're that's the pizza person so right Right. Yeah. <laughs> so did they get into financial fraud then? They did. So they kind of started fighting back on, you know, with the mobile depositing and he didn't actually sign things. And there was a whole mess when it came to prosecution and such. But yeah, they definitely were looking at that. One of the guys who ended up getting charged with ID theft, it was that he took some 
11-year-old girl's library card and went and checked out like a whole bunch of books on CD, like $1,200 worth. <laughs> so they were able to get her, get him for ID theft using her, her thing. And then he tried to come back. So we had him on video. He admitted to it. You know, we found some of the CDs at the, during the search warrant. So they were able to get him using a library card, which I loved. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. So it was all books on tape. So I guess he's a... Uh bookworm but he just loves to <laughs> listen to books on tape in his free time so that's funny because if you're going to the library that's already free so i guess yes, exactly. i guess unless he i but he was probably doing is selling them then maybe i don't know he's, I, maybe he's trying I to turn a profit so, yeah. but i don't know what the black market is for books on cds <laughs> you know at the time but who, who knows but that is who knows funny. Like, so could you imagine you, you're going to jail and that's what you're in jail for for stealing a They're like what, why are you here you're like why use 11 year old girl's library card <laughs> yes like that has to be pretty low on the total poll in terms of going to prison i would imagine not that that's what the person went to prison but i can't imagine that that would be something you would see comedically in in a movie somewhere like that that's mm -hmm. perfect and that's an actual true story so that's that's fantastic <laughs> so then with the database that you talked about, the STORM database, is that something where anybody that has access could add information so officers can add information from the squad car or other people, detectives that are from the office can add information to that system? Yeah, yeah, that was, it's a really kind of a cool thing. So if you go, that's where like a lot of our names came up that they would do like, hey, did a ped check on? John Smith on this time, he was, he said he was visiting Chris. So we would have that information. And that's how I started building like my link chart. Cause I'm like, Hey, John Smith, he's connected to Chris there, you know, trying to link how these people are floating around this neighborhood and who they're associated to. And it all came back to one house, you know? So, but yeah, anybody can. So we have a community outreach team when they reached out to like the HOA and did a meeting for them, they put their information in there. When our narcotics teams were doing like trash pulls, they put the information in there. So yeah, it was just kind of, it's one stop shop for anyone to go in and see what we've been working on. And it, there's no, you know, secrecy of what, oh, you're, you know, you contacted that person. Anybody can see that. Okay. So is that something that's homegrown? that database or is that a, a service that you're using? So it was homegrown, our old system. We are currently using SmartForce where we house it now. Okay. And how has that worked out for you? It's been a pretty good transition. The old system, I, it, it was home built so we can put what we want into it, but this is nice because it's web-based so you can get onto it anywhere you have web access and sign into your account. So it's just nice that you don't have to be actually signed into your computer. Hi, this is Dr. Carlina Orozco from the Tempe Police Department, Arizona State University. And my public service announcement is that correlation does not equal causation. If you find that certain things are occurring that may be contributing to a decrease or an increase in crime, for example, that gives an opportunity to investigate it a little bit further to see if possibly there are things contributing but it does not mean that one thing caused the decline or the increase. It just means that there's an opportunity to explore it a little bit further. Hey, this is Shauna Gibson from the Pacific Northwest. This is to all you crazy PEMCO drivers out there. 
do you know what a zipper merge is? It is when you let somebody else get in front of you and then somebody comes in behind you. You really don't have to push everybody out. So may you all learn the zipper merge and may the 405 and I-5 be a little bit more pleasant to drive down. Good luck with that, all of you crazy drivers. It's fascinating when you work on something that's so tactical in nature, but then there's always more of a strategic avenue that you can take. And where my head's going with this is you talked about with this that there was a lot of citizens that didn't report the crime. Or maybe they didn't, they reported, right. the, you know, they talked about the break-in, but maybe there was a break-in, but nothing was stolen, so they didn't report it. And so right. is is that something where the police department would encourage citizens that, hey, even if nothing was stolen, call us and let us know, because we need to know all of these locations. We need to know all this information so we, we can better uh, have an understanding of how this group is behaving. Yeah, I'm solely the person who's on ring or next door when I see people like, hey, someone got into my car last night. And then I read through and not see any reports from that person. And I'm like, hey, you probably should file something with the police department because they would like to know that way they know where to patrol at night. So I am totally that person on social media. <laughs> not saying I work for the police department, but just like, hey, they would want to know so they know where to patrol. <laughs> next door is an interesting app because you get all kinds of stuff. And I do wonder that does seem like something you should call the police on and not just bellyache yes. online about. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and you went to next door first before doing anything else? Like, it seems yeah. like next door would be maybe the last thing you would go to, but some people, Right, right. You like, know. Yeah, I just reported to the police and this is what happened. Uh, yeah. And now they're like, oh my God, someone just broke into my car. Yeah. Like, well, are they still there? <laughs> you might want right. to call the police first. So, but right. uh, people are, are funny. Did you have to, or did you subpoena any information from next door or were you just solely using it as a member of that neighborhood i was just using it as a member of the neighborhood i would live close enough to the neighborhood that i was able to see information just as a citizen and just using that as information i can use to do better analysis to see things like problems like this that people aren't reporting yeah hmm I think I would find it funny, too, just as a citizen, that I would probably be like, oh, nothing was stolen, no harm, no foul, I'm not going to bother 911 with it. I mean, there's obviously you can call 311 or you can probably call the the non-emergency helpline right. at the police department to report that, hey, I just want to let you know there's a break-in, nothing was stolen, no, there's no damage, but... You know, I just want to let you know kind of thing. Yeah, and the thing is, then people complain that the police are never in their neighborhood. I'm like, well, when we look at it from our point, we don't see any issues. <laughs> you haven't reported anything. So we see like, oh, you've had, you know, a theft of a sign, and that's all you've had in your neighborhood. We don't see that you had, you know, a whole night that someone came through and got into 15 cars. So yeah. unless you tell us, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, you got to tell them the squeaky wheel gets fixed, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah, then all those neighborhoods are going to be competing for calls for service. Sure you watch. Yeah. <laughs> Besides what you talked about with bringing more of the intel side to this position and some of the tactical analysis, is there 
Anything else that you're particularly proud of during your time here when you, as you come back home to Shawnee? Not really. I mean, like I, I love, I like, I, they liked what I was doing, I guess enough. They actually moved my office over into investigations. So Mm -hmm. I'm not part of the investigations unit, but I'm still, my office is housed over here. So I get to work closely with the detectives and all. To me, I guess the most proud thing for me, and it's IACA based, was getting my Kalia so in 2019, I was pregnant and I didn't have faith in myself to pass it. Oh, well, I was pregnant, but I did. <laughs> so I Added really, pressure. Yeah. Well, it gave me a good out. I was like, okay, I pregnancy brain. You know, if I fail this, I can fully blame it on pregnancy brain and not remembering words. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And there was totally, there, I couldn't think of the word severe on one of the things. And all I could think of was more grave. And I'm like, they'll understand. I mean, more grave. It's severe, right? More grave. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I always tell the story that I didn't tell anybody I was taking it. I did it at the ISCA yeah. conference that when, when it was in Austin. I think that was 2010-ish. And I didn't tell anybody because I was like, oh, if I fail, I don't want a bunch of people asking me how I did and have to tell them that I failed right. over and over and over and over again. So I didn't tell anybody that's what I was doing. But fortunately, well, I Kyle passed. Stoker was supposed to take it with me. <laughs> And he chickened out at the last moment, so oh. <laughs> I ended up taking it by myself. <laughs> oh, Kyle. I didn't I know. know that. He's since taken it and passed it, but okay. he, yeah, he totally chickened out with me. <laughs> oh, you need to let him know that you got it first then, so. Yep, yep. Oh, boy. <laughs> I do want to talk more about the IACA, but before we do, you said something interesting here that I'd like to touch on. So you talked about changing locations there at Shawnee Police Department. And I find it fascinating where your analyst is located really determines what kind of work they get. I'm guessing because you're in the investigative unit now, you got more investigative type tasks being asked of you. Definitely, definitely. That definitely increased. Where I sat before, I was down a hallway that had a captain and a the training sergeant. So only people came to see the training sergeant. I was at the very end of the hallway. No one ever wanted to make that long trek back to me. <laughs> so I definitely have more people who stop by and talk and even officers make their way over into investigations to talk about what they have going on. But yeah, I definitely get a lot more, hey, can you dig into this person? Can you find their social media? Can you find their next of kin? That sort of thing. Yeah. Now, do you find that officers that are not part of investigations still come to see you? Yeah, I have a candy dish, so I kind of bribe them to come see me. <laughs> the, the Sheila Dorn advice there. That's it was Sheila yep, Dorn's yep. advice. So very good. I think that's important because I think another thing, too, whether it's true or not, I feel that when you are stationed in a specific area like homicide or investigations or with drugs or gang unit, whatever it is, I feel that it almost sends the message to the rest of the department that you are there to only work for that unit. And as I said, it might not be true, but I feel that some people might like, oh, that she's in investigations now. That means she's she's only doing investigative work. And that was something like my department with the move, they moved my loca- my physical location, but I'm still actually housed under the administrative side of the department, like the actual tree. I have, a, I have the deputy chief and a captain who are above me, but on the administrative side to try to make it look like, hey, I am not just, you know, the investigations analyst, but I am the department's analyst. Okay, good deal. All right, well, let's move on to the IACA now. And we talked a little bit about your certification 
And so that's a good story there. And I do find it fascinating that you discovered IACA first and then discovered the profession. And because normally it's the other way around. And as I mentioned, you're an active member to IACA. So what positions have you held with IACA? So IACA, the only one I've had, and I've had it since 2014, I had it confirmed with Kyle the other day. I run, I'm the webinar coordinator. So I run all the webinars, I get them all set up and post to the website and get people arranged to take them and answer all the questions about invoices and times and that sort of thing. Yeah. And that's how many webinars do you do in a week? So we were trying to do at least one a month with our series. And then Mm -hmm. we have some other ones that we throw in, like we have a Power BI one coming up, but we have, you know, like the, the conference, some of the top conference presentations, we've been trying to add a lot more in than just our series as well. Sometimes my mind goes like, I think the conference should be more. I think it should be better attended. I think it should be the must-see, must-attend event of the year. And so I think of different stuff, like how could you make this better? And one of the things I was just thinking about when you said you put those on, I was like, well, you know, somebody might say, well, I don't need to go to the conference because they'll just make a webinar out of that class. Right. And so I don't know who fits into that boat, if any, (laughs) but I was just wondering, is there conversations like that that were like, okay, well, if we're just going to make the the webinar out of it, then nobody needs to go to the conference. Well, I, I mean, I don't think we've really had that before with the conference classes. We've had it sometimes, Kyle and I have talked about when we record webinars and they're not available on, on the webinar library for an extended amount of time and then they're made available. And so we're like, are we gonna have people who don't pay for classes then just watch the webinar library, you know, 90 days later or whatever. And I mean, we're still having our webinars attended really well. So I don't see that happening. I think the conference itself, like the classes are wonderful, don't get me wrong, but there's so much more about with the conference that I feel you go to the conference for. Like, yes, the classes are fantastic and you get to be in person, and ask questions and and it's easier to do a lot of those hands-on like excel and access classes but a lot of it you i mean you go and to talk to people who are like-minded like you who are analysts who may be fighting a similar battle with their record system or with the sworn civilian division or whatever else it is like you go to be with those people and it's it's networking it's team building it's you know to me, that's why I go to the conference. Like the, the classes are amazing, yes, but it's really, I think, for the people that you meet there as well. Okay. And of course, then when you when the pandemic was here and everything was shut down, were you doing even more webinars during that time? We are. We did actually, that was our first time that we did like the virtual conference. So Mm -hmm. everyone who had applied to do the conference for 2020, we started picking, like asking them saying, hey, this sounds like it'd be a great webinar. Would you like doing it? So it was kind of our first time to start doing some of those conference classes in kind of a more official manner. And then the last, you know, year or so we've been doing the same thing. We're taking the best of the best from the conference. And if you couldn't make the conference, at least you get to see some of the better reviewed presentations as well. So yeah, we definitely swung into trying to figure out how to move things online and how to make it available to people if they're working from home or sitting at a desk at their work where they might be able to travel for work or for travel for presentations and such, we can at least give that training to them 
at their office. Okay, interesting. So is there any misnomers, I guess, that you feel that people think about the webinar series with IACA? Not that I've uh, heard. I find a lot of people, and this is silly, I'm like, for being analysts, a lot of people can't do time conversions. <laughs> we have a lot of conversations with people about time conversions. And I don't that's just like the, we're getting out of the people who grew up with like the watching TV and it'd be like, nine eastern eight central or whatever <laughs> like it was embedded into me like you knew time conversions for tv growing up so i don't know if we're just getting to a younger generation just didn't have that or what <laughs> yeah i don't know i i still mess it up to be honest with you yeah <laughs> and i am i am not younger that's for sure and yeah. <laughs> but i still find myself messing it up from time to time i live on the east coast but i work for Vanderbilt, who's in Central, and yeah. and I will still mess that up from time to time. There's a <laughs> we sometimes use the airport that's over in Panama City, Florida, and you yeah. have to transfer. <laughs> and I mess it up all the time driving over there. I've almost missed flights because <laughs> I did it did it wrong. So I I don't know. I am definitely in that bucket of people that are time change deficient. I guess, is there any big changes that you have coming up with the webinar series? No. So we're always looking for great ideas. So I'll make the plug if you have an mm -hmm. idea of, or you want to teach something. We're always looking for that. We have a couple ideas for a mini series and a series for next year that we're kind of in the works that just kind of getting the feelers out to people for pr presentations. But yeah, any ideas that people have, the training team loves to have them. Or if you want to present anything, we'd love to have you guys present. <laughs> Yeah, well, you can't give a little teaser like that and not tell me a little bit about what, what's going down there. What, what are you talking about when you have... <laughs> well, we, we, there were some great presentations at the conference that we were talking that they had on, like, school safety. So we're hoping maybe at the beginning of the year if we can get some good movement with some presenters that will have some, as an analyst, you know, dealing with school threats and dealing with, any, you know, if you do have a, an incident go down at one of your schools, what you can do as an analyst. So we're hoping we'll have that in the works at the beginning of the year. And then we're hoping we can dive more. Some of our series have been so, you know, particular products and such. We're looking to see maybe if we can dive into more of the investigative analyst role. So we'll have to see what we come up with. <laughs> And so if somebody does have a question or concern or a recommendation for a webinar, how should they contact you? Training at IACA.net. So definitely reach out to us. Any comments, questions, concerns about anything? You can't do time conversion. We'll, we'll totally answer your emails. Please email us. <laughs> All right. Good. So another question I have for you, still IACA, but nothing to do necessarily with training. I just curious to get your your take so we had elections kind of for the IACA yes. and what I mean by kind of is nobody ran against the two people that were running for re-election so they yes. uh, we didn't even have an election because no one ran against them in one way I feel that I was like oh does that mean there's not enough interest in people running for the board or was it that those two people that were running have done such a good job that no one wanted to run against them? Yeah, I don't know, because we have, even with our local organization with Markian, we have trouble trying to get people to fill those positions as well. Sometimes I feel like we're having to, like, you know, not force people into it, but like, hey, you really, you really should do this. Like, you're, you know, you've been an analyst long enough, and I don't know if board positions, especially with the IACA, that you think of, well, I mean, I've only been an analyst for, you know, so long, or 
I don't really think of myself as that big of a name. You know, I'm not some of these other people who are on the board now or past board members that everybody knows. So I don't know if that's maybe the case of it, that people don't think of themselves as being, I guess, in quote, big enough to be on the board yeah. <laughs> or, you know, tenured enough to be on the board. So I don't, I don't know if that's what it is or not. I, I really like my little training spot. I'm very happy where <laughs> I am. <laughs> so I don't think I'll ever move from where I am because I, I love doing the webinars. I love getting to email with people and get to talk to all the presenters we have. And it forces me to watch webinars as well. <laughs> wow, hey. So, I mean, I don't know if it's that or what. <laughs> well, someday Kyle will retire from <laughs> from being well, the training chair. I was going to say, the thing about Kyle and I, we're only like a year apart, so like if he retires, I'm probably pretty darn close to it too. <laughs> that's that's true. Well, the whole uh, training committee is just gone at that point. <laughs> yeah. Angela will be gone with us as well. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll find out next year when we have elections if their terms are up and no, they're not seeking re-election, then if you don't get anybody, what do you do? And then that's when people are you yeah. know, usually trying to call people up who they know who might be interested. And it's it's fascinating that that's how things happen. And then I, I know the sometimes the associations can be criticized for being cliquish, but when you throw out an announcement and nobody reacts to you, come forward then you start going through them like okay who do i know that may be interested and then you're dealing with your viewpoint or your number of people that you know and so certainly i can understand where it can then become you know same people over yeah, and over and, and over somebody, again i was going to say and if it's somebody that you worked with before like you know you work well with somebody they're kind of the perfect person to be so yeah it kind of it can look clickish but it's it's hard when you just get like the same you're like no one else will volunteer for these things like <laughs> come on people volunteer with us <laughs> That's i'm <true>. begging you <laughs> yeah sometimes it seems like that we did have to beg so with marcan mid-america regional crime analysis network so this is yes. the regional association with the iaca that's centered there in kansas city you are currently yes. the vp of administration what kind of things do you got going on there with marcan so currently we have elections coming up so that's part of what i get to do as the vp of admin i run elections but you know we're doing the same thing that iaca does just on a more local we're trying to get trainings we both do in-person and webinars um Having Kyle Stoker and I both part of Marcan, you know, we're able to, we have access to the ICA webinar service, so which any local organization does, but it's just, you know, we're part of that, so it's easy for us to get our things in there. But yeah, just, I mean, we meet once a month, we have a, we have our Marcan meeting, and then we also do an Intel sharing meeting that we encourage even non-Marcan members to come to. So we have a lot of detectives and the crime lab, we have the DA that come, FBI, TSA, all sorts of people come and we just share information on people and incidents and such going on. Yeah. In terms of training locally at Marcan, do you have recommendations for training that is just maybe unique to Marcan that you don't get with the larger IACA community? I don't think so. A lot of the people that we have, they kind of use Marcan as test bunnies before they 
present at the IACA conference or do a webinar for IACA. <laughs> so we, we're just really good test bunnies for them to test out their product and see what good feedback or questions that might come up. Yeah. So uh, do you guys hold a conference? We do not. We've talked about bringing one. We used to have one back in the day, and we talked mm -hmm. about bringing it back at least one day training because we are a larger regional area because we do cover Kansas and Missouri, but we go down to Arkansas. And we go up to Nebraska as well. So we try to get some of those people to come in. We figure we need to start doing maybe some one and two day symposiums or, or conferences to try to get some training to those people as well. All right. Hmm. So the original IACA conference was in Kansas City, wasn't it? That's a, that's a bit uh, of trivia. I don't know. I know. I know it's been here. I don't know what year it was here. It was prior to me. Oh, you know what? Now that I think about it, I think it was Denver. Yeah. It, but you're right. It was it was in Kansas City at some point in time. So, mm -hmm. but they definitely need to circle back there because that is kind of the the central location. I know that's where all the mail goes. <laughs> so. Yep. All the mail. We have a mail person who works for Overland Park. Darcy picks it all up and sends it to the appropriate places and all. <laughs> What's Darcy's last name? Darcy yeah. Borum. All right. <laughs> But now I, I got to thinking that I know they have that restriction that it has to be an international airport. Does Kansas City have an international airport? We have a brand new airport that's opening in March, so we will see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pretty centrally located to be international, <laughs> I feel. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, you just have to go to, like, one other country to be international. So it's, yeah, it's we fly to a... Mexico, so you know. <laughs> yeah, so you're probably international just for that reason alone. So, but anyway, so maybe maybe someday we'll... The IACA will make it to Kansas City, and there can be a group effort between Marcan and the IACA. Yep. <laughs> All right. So let's go into some advice for that you have for analysts, and you know it can be either new or experienced analysts. But what's your advice? My advice is to get to know people, and I know that's really hard because ninety percent of us, my husband's not included, but ninety percent <laughs> of us are introverts. But having all these connections are important. You know, it gives us a good community to reach out to if you have need help on Excel or Access or whatever. It's a good sounding board for someone that you need to vent about. They don't understand what I'm doing at my department, or even just a simple contact to be like, hey, can I get a copy of this report or a driver's license from another state? I use the IACA directory like crazy. I'm totally the person who cold emails people. <laughs> but then it becomes fun because you get to know these people, and then you come to the conference, and it's like summer camp, and you're like, oh, we've like emailed with each other, and I can put your face, you know, name together. So I, I just think get to know people. It's important. Well, let's move on to personal interests, and you describe your personal interests as being a stressed baker. Uh, which, <laughs> I am, yeah. Uh, what, which I find fascinating then. So let's let's get a description of what you mean by a stressed baker. So I'm the person, anytime I get really stressed out at work or home or whatever, I'm baking. Mm -hmm. I'm baking cookies. I'm baking donuts. I'm doing, you know, I baked a pie a couple of weeks ago. Like, it's just one of those things that, like, I think my coworkers know. We were like, oh, she's having a stressful week because she brought us in donuts again. Okay. <laughs> So, so I, yeah, I definitely stress bake. <laughs> I find that funny because I don't know if you bake a lot of Christmas cookies, but that seems very circular in that baking a bunch of Christmas cookies could cause stress, which would make you then want to bake more, which makes you more stress. Yeah. And you caught in an infinite loop until the end of the calendar year. 
we do we do a big Christmas cookie thing. My mom and now my kids and everyone we decorate sugar cookies and all. But no, I normally just take one thing at a time. Like this time of year, I have an apple cider donut recipe that I love to make. I don't know. There's something about like it's so I don't know. Like er, baking's about like exact measurements and things. I'm like it like it just I don't know. You have to follow the recipe. There's no like really strain from things. So there's something that makes it so simple. And when you bake, it's just like you're, and then you get a pretty cookie or donut at the end. <laughs> yeah. So do you fry your donuts or bake your donuts? I actually bake my donuts. Okay. So are they more cake based? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, they're cake. These are these, yeah, these apple cider ones I make are cake based. I've done strawberry, I've done blueberry, all sorts of things. I got a donut pan a couple of years ago and it just became my go-to thing <laughs> to make. <laughs> all right. So yeah. Now, d- does Seth know that is there certain tiers of your baking that like okay if <laughs> if you are baking this you're at like defcon 1 <laughs> No no I don't have anything that's too much like that you know he he just knows like if I'm like I got to go bake donuts or bake cookies so he's like all right you need your time in the kitchen I got it <laughs> I got you all right very very cool. It reminds me, and I tell this story a lot at Thanksgiving. One of the, it wasn't the first Thanksgiving I was with my wife. It was several years into it, but it happened to be just, it was my mother-in-law and me and, you know, in the kitchen talking and she's preparing pumpkin pies and she's, we're having a conversation, not about Thanksgiving at all. What seems to me, she's looking at me the whole time. And we're asking questions back and forth and having a really good conversation. And then before I know it, she pours three perfect pie shells of pumpkin pie mix. And she did not measure one thing. As I said, she <laughs> she lo- was seemed to me looking at me the whole time. And I said, how did you do that? She's like, oh, I've done it so many times that I don't, I don't have to measure. I don't have to do anything kind of thing. It's and I was at, yes, memory. <laughs> yes, and I was I was in total awe of that and found that totally awesome. And she didn't think it was that big a deal at all. But I tell that story often. <laughs> Another thing that you said that you are is a people pleaser, and and yeah. and that got me thinking a little bit too when we, when we had that on the prep call yesterday about being a people pleaser because I think my superpower in life is that I'm very inconsistent. <laughs> And and so I think if I would tell people, yeah, I'm a people pleaser, there would be some people like, yeah, I see that. Yep, you are. And then there are other people would be like, oh, man, you are pretty difficult. I would not I would not consider you a people pleaser. So it's it's funny that that really kind of inconsistent in my people pleasing this. But I guess for for you, do you feel like it's just all the time people pleasing for you? I just, I don't like people, I like, I don't like conflict. I don't like people to be upset with me. So like, I try to go out of my way to like, make people like me. That is just, that is how I am. (laughs) So yeah, no, I'm definitely the people pleaser. I don't, I don't want you to dislike me for any reason. You know, I just try to be nice to you as much as I can, you know, (laughs) Yeah, I with kindness. Yeah, I do feel that that when it when you get into conflict and arguments and stuff, that it is it can get really bad. Not bad, I shouldn't say that, but it can be really wearing on on a person that's just trying to have everybody get along type of thing. Yeah. So yeah. it's yeah, <laughs> it's definitely can be a struggle. So what do you wish 
non-people pleasers understood about people pleasers? For me, I would say it's even though we may say yes to something, it doesn't mean we necessarily are excited to do it or want to do it. We want to help people. So if it's something, even if I'm not really interested in doing it and you ask me to do it, chances are I'm going to help you out with that. I know sometimes that might irritate other people working around looking like I'm being favored to be on different teams or whatever else, but I'm just not one to tell people no. Mm -hmm. So I, I wish people who weren't maybe as people pleasing as I am that they might see that, okay, she's saying yes because she doesn't want to upset the workflow or upset a person, and especially being new to a department at any time. Like, I don't, I don't know. I want to be accepted and it's a way to be accepted that people are asking me to do things. So that was one thing I guess I wish that people would understand about people pleasers. Yeah, it's funny. And I haven't decided whether I'm a people pleaser or not, but I know I have some certain traits. <laughs> And so there's situations where I'll find myself in that I'm just making myself harder for myself just to help yeah. the situation. And every, right, once a, right. every once in a while, people would be like, what are you doing? You don't need to be doing all of that. We, you don't need to be lifting that much. So I do right, find right. myself trying to help the situation and thinking of problems and anticipating problems and trying to make sure we don't go down that path. And, you know, my dad will tell me that I'm worrying about things to worry about when I do kind of that stuff. But... <laughs> right. <laughs> so do you actually find it difficult to take a win? And what I mean about that is this, this actually happened a couple of weeks ago at the office that we had this issue and I was working with another coworker and she was nervous about the ask and there was, there was some tension there and we were working with a vendor and we go and we get on this call and we present both sides and the, the vendor's like, oh, well, yeah, it's a little bit more work for us, but we'll take care of it. That's no no problem at all. And she started to then backtrack after we had all agreed she was like, feel, I think she was feeling guilty that she got the win. And she kept, she started backtracking. I was like, oh, maybe we can do it this way and all this other stuff. And I quickly instant messaged her and said, hey, take the win. We don't need to be going down that. <laughs> Path. just just take the win it's okay we'll live to fight another day kind of thing and so i i have a tendency to do that as well i don't know if you relate to that either yeah i mean i it's hard for me to even i'm proud of her for actually speaking up because like as a people pleaser like you don't want to make waves and be like even though this might be easier on me like i don't want to say something and it make more work for you or whatever so like she spoke up which is amazing like that's a win in itself for her but yeah no i i do get to a point that you're just like well i mean like i mean if you want to do it the other way like i can totally do this work around and make my life a little harder but it's fine you know type thing so Totally get that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's finish up with words to the world. And this is where I give the guests the last word. Sabrina, you can promote any idea that you wish. What are your words to the world? My words to the world are just be kind to people. I know we may not all see eye to eye. We might have a past with someone, but it doesn't mean you can't be friendly when you see someone or if you need to speak with them. Kindness matters and you never know what friendliness or smile will do. Very good. Well, I leave every guest with you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later. <laughs> but I do appreciate you being on the show, Sabrina. Thank you so right. much and you be safe. Thank you so much, Jason. I appreciate it. You too. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. 
If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at l8podcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.